0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello, fellow Creative Control listeners. My name is Mac Cameron. I live in Toronto, and I have been listening to Creative Control with Vish Khanna since episode 119 that featured all five members of one of my favorite bands, Constantine's. I listen backwards from there and then forwards, and I know it sounds, you know, over the top or cliche, but finding the show changed the course of my life. It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Visha's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians conducted out of genuine passion and interest that makes this show so special. I think it is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way under reported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same.
2: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today.
1: I am Vish's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that.
2: Welcome to another episode of Creative Control featuring not one but two separate interviews with comedians. John Dore and I had a talk the other day ahead of his JFL 42 shows in Toronto. Between September 25th and 28th they're coming up. And I'll tell you more about John in the second half of this show. But first, Lauren Lapkus is a tremendously funny comedian and American actor who is a prominent and featured player on the Comedy Bang Bang and Freedom podcasts. Also, she's a cast member of Orange is the New Black and Crashing. And she has a primary role in Between Two Ferns, the movie, which is one of the funniest movies of 2019 and is now streaming on Netflix. During Lauren's recent trip to Toronto for JFL 42, I spent a bit of time with her talking about Between Two Ferns being starstruck by Keanu Reeves, improvising under the tutelage of Scott Aukerman and with Zach Galifianakis and the rest of the Ferns cast. What's next for her? And more. A part of the E1 Podcast Network with the support of listeners like you who subscribe to it and spread the word about it. And make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. Plus, in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph. And Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 498th episode of Creative Control featuring comedians John Doerr just a little bit later. And right now, Lauren Lapkus with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, First of all, that Freedom show last night was great. Oh,
3: thanks. You were there. That's yeah, great. I
2: was there. I loved it. Was it fun for you?
3: Oh, it was so fun. It was our first live one ever. So we were wondering what it would be like to do it live because it's just us talking about whatever <laughs> comes to our heads. So it was really fun. And the crowd was so great. Yeah, it was really funny because we were backstage and one of the um, people working at the theater came up and told us that the crowd was the most polite crowd they'd ever seen. And <laughs> we were, we just loved that. They like, Everyone filed in single file to get in the theater. And yeah. No one was telling them to. It was uh, just their choice.
2: I missed that. Apparently, I was a bit late. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they organized themselves.
3: Yeah, everyone like walked in single file. Out, they lined up an hour and a half before the show and then walked in perfectly and sat down. and No one <laughs> argued over seats. I love that. I was yeah, like, it's very Canadian. We have a very probably. kind fan base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so let's talk about Between Two Ferns, obviously. Uh, congrats on this film. It's very, oh, thank very you. funny. Um, I don't think of you as being part of the universe, per se. I mean, it's normally Zach and the celebrity. Right. What was it like to enter the Between Two Ferns universe? <laughs> it
3: was really cool. I mean, I've, I, you know, I loved all of the, the whole web series, obviously, over the last 10 years. I've seen them all and always loved it. And of course, I never thought about there being like a world behind the scenes within within the series either. But um, it was really great because we were able to improvise the film. So we improvised far more than you'll ever see for Zach's world and like <laughs> created a very in-depth, world for him that uh, it was It was really neat to step into it felt very real
2: so when you say you improvised everything are you given are you talk, do you talk about a plot outline a rough arc of what's going on
3: yeah so we knew the basic plot points were um, just that Zach had to make 10 episodes of the show in order to get his own TV show that was kind of all we knew and the script was really really loose so it, we, each day we might get like a page of notes or like a couple suggestions for lines or where the scene needs to go to kind of like get there but Other than that, we were making it all up, so I loved it. (laughs) So the
2: balance between thinking on the spot about what you're going to say and do with these little directions, how difficult is that for you to balance as an improviser?
3: I mean, I loved it because um, the other cast members are fantastic improvisers, Ryan Gall and Giovanni Lanayo, and... Uh, and Zach obviously is hilarious so we were able to kind of work together and create these scenes where and the cool thing was that Z- uh, Scott let us go to so many different places you know this the takes might be 30 minutes long where we would do a full <laughs> scene that was like 30 minutes of real conversation between these crazy characters and then it might be cut down to one minute or you'll never see it in the movie so we got to really get <laughs> into it <laughs> is that
2: heartbreaking for you on some level when you see the final cut and you're like ah they didn't put that one part in that I really like
3: yeah on some level but part of the part of the uh, one one positive thing about it is that I have a really short term memory, like a bad short or what is the word? I don't know. I don't even have. The memory I can't for remember. How to say yeah, exactly. I don't remember. I don't remember what you just said. <laughs> I forget everything right after we do it, and I mean, it's part of like doing improv is staying in the moment and moving past things. So there's a lot of stuff that I just forgot, um, and so it was kind of fun to see it come together and be like, oh yeah, I forgot we even did that scene, or Who, when would I say that thing? Oh wow, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if I if we talk about the scenes that we did that we we got that got cut, I'll be sad, but. Okay, yeah, (laughs) Uh, plus they (laughs) might might come out, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would hope, it'd be very cool if they put together some little, you know, deleted scenes or something.
2: Talk of a sequel, perhaps, or a series or something. Yeah. So you've got a rough plot outline, you're improvising, but you have a character. Yes. Yeah. Are you given? Uh, are you assigned a character with a backstory? Or are you making this character? And your character is Carol. Carol. Yeah.
3: Yes. So I play Zach, uh, Zach's assistant, and the I basically had like a small description for my character that was like she is, you know, trying to help Zach stay in line. She books all the guests. She, I knew a couple little things about her, but I was able to create her personality and backstory. And her backstory is is dark. So. <laughs> That's cool.
2: Is her backstory dark? I'm trying to, you know, it's also, it's also fleeting in <laughs> yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah, when I mean, that's say, what's kind of great. When you say Carol's backstory is dark, can you elaborate upon I that? I would
3: like to leave that as a surprise because there's a moment oh. where she reveals a little bit about her life and what's going on in her life. That's and, true. That's and, right. and it's it's really messed up. So <laughs> it kind of tells you a lot about her that she, she ha- can comp- compartmentalize her life really well and just stay with Zach and not think about what's going on.
2: Now, Zach in the meta Zach or whatever, the between two friends Zach does not seem likable. Uh, He's delusional and he's an egomaniac and he's very offensive. Carol likes him, though. He has friends who believe in him. I I don't understand this dynamic. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think they've been working together for so long and she's the person smoothing things out for him. I, I think there's a heartwarming sort of connection between them that you see in the movie and... He needs some people like that, or otherwise he, he's hard to handle. Yeah, no, he
2: absolutely is, and yeah. I just wonder—is he aware of how lovely Carol is to him?
3: I think so. I think you get okay. a couple moments where he—you can see that he really recognizes it. And we definitely shot a bunch of different versions of the of the ending. Um, oh, you did. But yeah, but that you can see that he really cares about her. I think the ending we ended up with shows that too—that he he cares. Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> values does. he values her and his employees.
2: <laughs> so, it, you're are you? It was a roughly a. 30-day shoot, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. We picked up a few times over the course of the next few months as well, just kind of filling in blanks that right. they realized as they were editing. After editing, right. Yeah.
2: So you're there for, like this, I, what I love about Between Two Ferns, or what I used to love about Between Two Ferns was the simplicity, but it seems to be scaling up. Obviously, the guest list is getting bigger or it has gotten bigger. It's mm-hmm. huge. And then you have this movie with water and like it's just, it seems very big and yeah. epic. Were you there for all, I mean, you are obviously part of that yeah. stuff. What did you make of that, the scale of this?
3: I mean, it was really cool The that scene you're thinking of with the flood of the studio was really really fun to shoot because they, they replicated the hallway. They created a, basically a lookalike hallway that was tilted on an angle so that the water, they dumped like water of a gigantic basin or something that just Dumped down the hall uh, and a basin. Us. I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> what would you call it? A, a huge bucket. That's it's just a netty pot of water <laughs> <came> <laughs>
2: pouring down. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> can a basin be large? I had I a storm basin on the street sure. of mine that I lived on that flooded, so I always think of basin <laughs> as being a gigantic thing that can. I don't know. In my head, a basin
2: <laughs> is what you would bathe a baby in. or okay, something. Okay, maybe yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was yeah. more yeah. than that. It, okay. was, <laughs> it was. a lot of water. It could bathe like a hundred babies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there is this replicate. Uh, do you do much physical company? Was that you? you doing all that stuff we,
3: yeah like, i think you'll see like there uh, there's my stunt double who's being totally drowned by the water at a certain point rushing down the hall and then i am at the End of the hall waiting to be hit by it, and uh, I replaced her at that point. So it was a little safer for me. I'm afraid of water. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> I get can't into swim. That. I, I can barely swim. I don't so know. I'm not buoyant. This I, is great I to sink. hear, though, because yeah. a lot of people think it's crazy that I can't really swim and they look at me like I missed a huge part of my childhood. But. Something
2: about my bone density yeah. or something? I just sink right to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I just it.
3: float. I can't go down. Oh, so that's, that's <laughs>
2: you're okay. You're going to survive. Yeah, I'm, but it's I'm hard to swim <laughs> because
3: uh, I can't get underwater.
2: So. <laughs> Wait, so you're around. Are Scott and Zach. Kind of marveling at what they're getting away with in terms of the film. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like,
3: I mean, I think so on some level, especially with the with the celebrity interviews. I mean, it's really amazing how far they can push it and uh, how how much the celebrities roll with it. Because I think you'll see, obviously, a bunch of the questions that are really pushing it and people don't get up and leave so that's great
2: (laughs) Do you have a sense of why some of these people want to participate in these mockumentaries like i'm a huge larry sanders show oh yeah yeah that's my favorite show of all time so i'm kind of steeped in this meta version of celebrity but it's with these mockumentaries it's happening more and more do you have a sense of that like why do they enjoy being they're not even being terrible. They're reacting to a terrible person in kind of a funny way. But do you have yeah. any insight into that? As to
3: why the celebrities might want to do yeah. it? I think there's something that shows that your game, and I think people like that because... So often with especially these huge celebrities like Matthew McConaughey or something, we only see them in huge movies that they're being, you know, I mean, there's no reality about who he is when you're watching something like that. Right. And to see this, like even though it's still he's still putting on a bit of a character because he's kind of arguing with Zach and he's in real life having a good time. It shows that he has a sense of humor about himself. And I think that is true for all the celebrities that we got. Like they're they're laughing at themselves. It, It makes you feel like they're more relatable.
2: Do you think the show, I mean, I think the show is saying something about celebrity culture and interviews and what we do. And (laughs) do you have an insight? Do you have any perspective on that? I don't
3: know. I mean, I... I feel like one thing I like about the movie is that it's so silly and lighthearted that I haven't given it <laughs> the weight of like meaning something about celebrity culture right now, but I can see what you're saying for sure.
2: Like, have you been in, uh, I hope this is going well by the way, but have <laughs> you been in situations where you're being interviewed and you're like, what the hell is with this person?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's true. I'm like, um, like not you. you. Would, you would, yeah. I'm doing okay so far. <laughs> yeah. I gave you the blue mic. I gave you the choice. <laughs>
2: yeah. I just wonder if you can relate uh, now that you've been yeah, doing that's press circuits
3: and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the there, I've definitely had interviews where it's clear the person has no idea what I do or who I am or what's going on and I mean it's it's a good test to myself to be able to roll with that but I mean I don't really judge anyone for it everyone's just trying to do their job
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah I know there's a we really are fixated in comedy on obliviousness it yeah. seems right now like people who don't seem to be self-aware
3: well i think that there's a lot going on in the world that relates to that so maybe yeah. it feels fun to just poke a little fun <laughs> at that i mean at least in america i don't know about it. <laughs> no yeah i know it's, it's very
2: common like i do this this kind of comedy keeps coming up yeah can you believe even like the viral videos we share like can you believe this person yeah. yeah yeah
3: i think uh it's nice to look at other people as being uh unaware of themselves and we all assume that we're the person who's self-aware when it's possible that we're all maybe we're it. seeing each other in Zach a little bit yeah, yeah. and
2: the questions we asked. In terms of the celebrity interviews, were you on site for a lot yeah, of Yeah,
3: most of them, yeah. It was really great because they did full 45 minutes with each 45 celebrity. 45 minutes? Yeah, I mean, you know different multiple takes and stuff but wow we got to really watch them do the whole thing and every day we'd come to set and have no idea who the celebrity was going to be they wouldn't tell us in advance in case you know somebody ended up pulling out or, or leaking or it. Right, exactly both right. of those options but and some of them were super top secret I and mean, all of them were once we actually found out who they were but we would just get the call sheet and it would have initials for the celebrity who was coming today and we'd try to guess who it was and it <laughs> was kind of a fun game and <laughs> see if we were right and there were times we were and times we weren't and um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved watching the interviews because you really get to know that person a little bit just as a voyeur, but
2: I want to talk about the blooper reel. Uh, don't f- let me forget about that. Yeah. But I, I, I just want to touch upon this celebrity thing. I mean, I'm a David Letterman person, Yeah. so when I see, and he's being very participatory in his retirement, which I enjoy, like yeah. he's not like Johnny Carson, he's out there doing stuff. So I don't want to necessarily, uh, guide you in your answer, but did you have a favorite or, or a starstruck moment with a particular celebrity. He
3: definitely would have been one for me. I wasn't there. The day they shot that. You weren't there no, for No, they oh shot that on the East Coast. <laughs> and th- it was all just a uh, tight crew. So oh. we didn't all get to be there. Um, but they did make it look like we were there. So that was right. Fun. That's, right. So shots, that's right. Right, right, right. But he would have. I was so disappointed to miss out on that because I was. I'm a huge fan myself. Um, I think a few of the big moments for me let's see we, I love Paul Rudd I just I have a crush on him so that was cool <laughs> Keanu Reeves was an amazing one That's amazing I mean when he showed up I was really starstruck mm-hmm. that's somebody who I stayed away from because I was I mean I met him for two seconds but I was afraid to be that's annoying you know <laughs> oh, right right Cause he's just so great I'm like oh, yeah. I just want to leave him be and <laughs> He was really amazing in his interview and read us a poem that he wrote for a friend. And he might have even recited it from memory. I can't remember if he read it he or not. He read you a poem? Yes. It was great. It was uh, very, very... He, I think he wrote it into a book for his friend who was going through a hard time. And he created a little gift for her. And then he shared it with us. and. He's we really
2: love Keanu right now, and, and oh my he, god. he seems to deserve our love.
3: Oh my god! Yeah, well, and always be my maybe. Have you seen that on Netflix? I haven't yet. Oh, actually. he's so funny in that, Is and that, it? it's like so cool to see him getting this big comedic moment yeah yeah
2: yeah okay so Keanu the stars like I mean the John Legend Chrissy Teigen thing was very funny oh yeah and
3: John Legend was really fun he he really went with everything and of course he had like a more of a storyline for his celebrity interview um (laughs) and we got to improvise with him a bit and he was great
2: so (laughs) as an improviser did you or did anyone alter the course of the story Uh, I think we all did. Did something come up where there was an idea and then you improvised your way out of it or something?
3: Yeah, I mean, there were um, many points where we would improvise something just conversationally and then shoot it because it would be a funny thing to shoot. Like, for example, there is a moment where I'm just um, explaining all the things that I do for Zach around the studio and all the ways that I help him. And I improvised that I draw everything out for him each day to show him what his schedule is going to be so he can figure out how to go through the day. And then we got to shoot me drawing, you know, his schedule for him. And that was really cool because normally in improv on stage, you don't really get that that you know, luxury to get to actually see the thing.
2: I was going to ask you about that because you are uh, an improv, like you do podcast improv and you've done stage improv. Was the film improv? Like that's obviously a different feeling, but what's the distinction for you?
3: For me, I think what I love about it is that you get to fully become the character, like from costume, hair and makeup, all that stuff and the sets that we're playing with. It feels so real and you get to go so much further than you can on stage right. in a sense. I mean, on stage you can be anything and do anything because the audience is going with you and imagining it. But when you're actually playing with practical objects, it's pretty neat.
2: So what's next for, we alluded to the fact that there might be more for this film. Um, I guess that remains to be seen. What's next for you? What are you working on? Yeah,
3: I just shot a Netflix movie with David Spade called The Wrong Missy, and I'm really excited oh, cool. about it. It's wild. <laughs> and um, yeah, he ab- the plot is basically that he invites The Wrong Missy on his work retreat, and it's me, and we went on a bl- bad blind date, and I am... Uh, not the person he thought he was inviting and I ruin everything for him so <laughs> it's really fun.
2: And when's that going to be out? I don't know the release date yet but okay.
3: uh, I think 2020, I think. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, Lauren, I, it's a pleasure to speak with you. and too. I, I, I hope, uh, you know, everything goes well with this film and best of luck with everything else. Thank
3: you so much. Thank you. Thanks.
2: John Doerr is a unique comedian currently based in Alaska. Originally from Ottawa, Ontario, Doerr once had his very own TV show and his late night sets and stunts on Conan are the stuff of comedy legend. Between September 25th and 28th in the year 2019, John is performing four sets at the Royal Theatre in Toronto during JFL 42 and I had the great pleasure of speaking with him about his comedic approach. Our mutual love of Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip his future plans, and more. So please, enjoy this conversation with the hilarious John Doerr on Creative Control. The man to bury us. To say, true I'm kind of dumb and so you
4: The
2: Hi, John. How's it going?
5: It's going well. How are you doing?
2: I'm well. I'm well. It's nice to speak
5: with you. First of all, where in the world are you? I am currently in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, home of the Senators. And um, yeah, couldn't be happier. Beautiful weather. seeing some friends, hanging out with family.
2: That sounds lovely. Just so people who aren't that familiar with Ottawa, you, everyone knows it as the political capital of Canada. When you say Senators, you mean the, you mean the hockey team. Probably.
5: Not anymore. I. I mean, a few <laughs> years ago, I would have, but uh, I'm not sure what kind of a hockey team we have this year. So.
2: Okay. Okay. So yeah, you're I, you're from Ottawa, you say?
5: Yeah, born and raised in Ottawa. spent about 24, 25 years here. So, yeah, when I come back to Ottawa, it's, uh, you know, all my friends have grown up and open microbreweries. So uh, it's a bit of a tour.
2: <laughs> that is a thing, isn't it? People make, they, that's what they make of their lives. When they don't know what else to do, they make a microbrewery, don't they?
5: Exactly. And I and I love going in with my Coors Light T-shirt and uh, Miller Light <laughs> sweater on because it drives them crazy. It's one of my favorite things to do. That's, that's the cause I'm fighting. <laughs> that's
2: good. It's very nice. Nice of you to do that to your friends. That's great. I'm sure they're happy when you come back.
5: <laughs> At first, they were mad. Now they see the humor in it. And it'll probably circle back to, that's enough. Can you not bring those sweaters in? But, uh...
2: <laughs> now, are you visiting uh, Ottawa? Is that what you said?
5: Well, yeah, I live, uh, I actually, I moved to a place called Alaska. Not sure if you've heard of it. And um, You live in so Alaska?
2: I... Why do you live in Alaska?
5: Well, I met a woman, a beautiful uh, woman, and she has a five-year-old daughter, and the three of us hang out, and uh, for the work she does, it made more sense for her to stay, and since I can travel a lot for my work, uh, we're giving it a shot, and so far, it's great, but I was in—I uh, was outside of Boston performing last weekend, and it made little sense to travel all the way back to um, Alaska for a week, and then uh, just come all the way back to Toronto, so... I decided I'm gonna hang out with the family and friends in Ottawa. That's why I'm here.
2: That makes sense. Now you're of course your your girlfriend is Sarah Palin. Is that what you're saying? I don't know who you're who else? It's hard. Kidding?
5: It's hard to talk about right now because uh, <laughs> you know the tabloids have got a hold of it. But uh, yeah, as for now, my lawyer says don't say anything.
2: Don't say anything. That's fair. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to pry. I,
5: I not know. at all. It's your job.
2: It is part of my job. That's true. So uh, I know you as a stand-up comedian. You and I have uh, had a very brief interaction, just the one time. I don't expect you to remember it, but we were both at a tragically hip show, and you were. Uh, I think it was the. Were you at the Toronto show?
5: I was at, uh, do you mean the final tour? Oh, yeah, sorry,
2: the final tour. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, I was was at a Toronto show. I was at the Kingston show, and I also went to the Victoria show. But, um, yeah, if you were at the Toronto show, I was there as well, yeah.
2: I was at the, uh, I'm not, this is not uh, competitive, but I went to Hamilton, London, Ottawa, Toronto, and Kingston, not in that order, I just realized. So I was running into lots of people, and I ran into you. I recognized you in the ticket line. And I said, John, I'm a big fan and I have a podcast. It would be nice if you could come on. And you said, leave me. No, you didn't. You were very nice. You were like, that sounds good. And we had like a mutual connection because I've become a little bit friendly with the Baroness Von Sketch show people. Um, there you
5: go. Yeah.
2: And you're friendly with them. I take it you appeared on the show at least.
5: Yes, I've been on the show a few times. Yeah, they are good people, uh, staff and uh, and performers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, that's good. I'm glad we had a nice interaction. They're generally good. I mean, I don't <laughs> see myself ever really having bad interactions, especially at a hip show. Those were these big lovin's. so, yeah.
2: I, I'm still processing, to this day, I feel like I'm still, not to get too heavy here, but that was a very heavy uh, time for our country and for yep. people who like that band. You clearly love that band. You went to three of the shows.
5: I absolutely love that band, unapologetically. Yeah. I I spread the news and the word of Gord wherever I can. Yeah, no, I that was a very emotional summer. I, uh, I had a job and I decided not to do it because I had to go to three of those shows. Yeah. So, yeah, it was important for Canada, important for, uh, yeah, I think we'll look back on it and really see how important it was.
2: It did feel, it felt significant. I mean, it's hard. It was significant for me uh, and I could tell it was significant for people like you in the country. Are you generally a big music fan or was it particularly that band that... Uh... Is that the only band you like, John? (laughs) It's a weird, (laughs) weird question. (laughs) You're a big music guy?
5: No, it's not a weird question, really. Um, I think, well, I don't know if I could consider myself a big music guy. I mean, uh, if it's early morning and uh, I need a pick-me-up, the Stone Roses gets thrown on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I have my go-tos. But, um, no, the Tragically Hip has a very special spot in my heart. Every relationship i've ever been in i remember what album came out when i remember waiting in line i remember um yeah i can i, I can document my life and every nostalgic feeling has a like a smell or a taste mm. or a warmth mm. to it according to these different albums so um yeah i mean you could say obsessed but i'd say you know reasonably obsessed with the tragically hip but yeah, yeah absolutely desert island just give give me their uh, discography and i'd be happy
2: yeah, we we just my family and I went on a drive uh, to the East Coast and I one of the things I brought with me on my phone was their uh what's it called your favorites? Do you know that collection?
5: Yeah, Y E R, your favorites. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's
2: the one. And yeah. I had it on my phone. We rented a fancy van and so I could yeah. just play it. Do you know that you can do that, John? You can play stuff from your phone to your car and the car will I, just play it back
5: to you. It's amazing. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. What's a car? It's
2: a car? <laughs> it's a it's a, it's, a, it's, a tra- it's like a wagon. Do you know what a wagon is? Oh yes, I it's do like know a motor. A wagon it's is. like a motorized wagon wagon without the. You don't need the horses. It has horsepower, but you don't need the horses. So this
5: is getting confusing. I, I do what. once. I do once remember being locked in the trunk of a car. Oh. trying to get us back on topic.
2: Yeah. Oh, thank you for getting us back there. Anyway, that collection was. It was so fun to listen to the hip. The hip have hits here. I, yeah. I a lot of my you know some of my audience is not from Canada, so I'm we're doing a little bit of inside talk here. But I think it's important to talk about that band and what they mean to Canadians. I mean, you're a fellow you've lived in uh, California, right? You've lived other you've lived outside of Canada.
5: Yeah, I lived in California for 10 years, yeah. Right. So you you bring Canada with you.
2: You're a emissary of our culture. So you you say you tried to spread the word of the hip. Did the Americans that you spoke to about the hip, did they did they understand what you were talking about? Did they understand That's, the appeal?
5: I'd say one out of 10 because at one point you share music and then you have to decide it's interesting to me, I think the Tragically Hip, we grew up on, at least I did. I grew up on their music at the right time. Um, so I heard Up to Here and Road Apples and then finally into Fully Completely. So I grew with those albums at, uh, at a formative time in my life. But I feel like the Tragically Hip, when they went on Saturday Night Live in 1995, uh, debuted with Grace 2. Mm-hmm. Now, unbelievable song, incredible anthem. But if you didn't grow with the Tragically Hip, I wonder if that had a little bit of an effect. So, and Gord being so unique... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. How do you spread the word yeah. of the Tragically Hip? But I just, uh, I, I let them know there's no argument when it comes to uh, the greatest band on earth. So Oh,
2: that's, that's lovely to hear. Lovely to the hear. beauty
5: of living in the States, too, starting in a row, is that uh, I got to see the hip. So I'd come to Canada and I'd see these huge arena shows. And then in the States, I got to see, and they work just as hard. Yeah. I got to see them at the Troubadour. Yeah. Um, I got to see them at House of Blues. I got to see them at so many great little venues, mm. and uh, yeah, I felt very lucky.
2: Nice. That's great. That's great. Well, we've had a very earnest talk about the hip, but you are a very, <laughs> okay. f- you're very funny. I don't mean to. Did I was that too weird a segue? I just you're very funny. You're a funny guy, and I feel like we've. I, I hope I, I haven't made this all about the hip. I hope you're you seem comfortable talking about. The
5: I hip. I could talk. I, we can continue talking about the hip <laughs> if you like. I'm I'm game. <laughs> You went to that
2: Toronto show. I did, too. What did? You, what was your favorite of those shows you saw, uh, the three that you went to?
5: They were all so different. The first that I saw, which was in Victoria, and that was the kickoff tour, Yeah. Uh, it was overwhelming. It was probably a little too intense um, because that was the first time you got to see Gord on stage, how he was handling himself. And for, the, um, for
2: those who don't know, that final tour that the hip went on was predicated by the fact that Gord had announced he had terminal brain cancer. So, and, and up until a few months earlier, he was having trouble walking or singing and reading and doing anything. He, he had lost so much functionality that it was really touch and go whether he could do this tour.
5: And well, he opted for surgery, which would give him less, less of a life expectancy, but a better quality of life. But yeah. then the damage to his memory and brain could be a little more severe. Yeah. Um, but one thing, and again, what a, Wonderful symbol. I mean, you can look at this a million different ways, but the way I choose to look at it is, um, he knows and to look death in the face and say, let's hang out with my friends and get on the road and, you know, share this music with the country. Um, yeah, pretty beautiful. So the first show in Victoria, I was a little concerned about, you know, how steady is he going to be on those legs, completely forgetting that he's just been through major surgery. I thought that Toronto show we were at was absolutely. It was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. It was perfect. You yeah. know, Yeah, in Bob Cajun, when they sang that night in Toronto, people went nuts. The grace Two theme, like everything about it was just beautiful.
2: I agree. And I, um, it was, it was, it was so difficult to see him struggling, but at the same time, you're right. The bravery on display was so inspiring and I just will never forget it. And, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about that a little bit. I, I, I'm, I'm glad we shared that experience because...
5: I'm not, I, I don't think he... I mean, it was night and day, though, to see him perform in uh, Victoria and then see that Toronto show. I turned to the person I was with, and I, to each show I brought someone very important to me. And that Toronto show... After he had maybe four or five shows under his belt, I thought, look at this. <laughs> These guys are back. They can do an entire, they yeah. can do another 10 years of touring. I was, I was amazed.
2: Yeah. And a bit in denial, just like me. I, when it ended, yeah. I, I, I remember in Kingston feeling nauseous before the show started. Uh, it felt like such a big, uh, that was a weird feeling in that room for me. Unlike any other show, I like, this is it. This is it. And you could feel a, a certain different kind of electricity at that final show. Um, and i don't know if you had that like a vis- you mentioned victoria being feeling a little unsettled it was a visceral reaction we had to those shows i think
5: well you don't you don't imagine your
1: your yeah. band ever mm.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
5: You know, stop touring. I mean, you yeah. just think they can go on or I'll see them next year and I'm busy this year. This felt like we better fit them in. Yeah. Um, which is a weird thing to say. I don't know. I feel even strange talking about the man <laughs> in a way. But um, did, yeah. Did you it, know him th- at th- all? That th- Kingston. Sorry. Did you,
2: sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you come to know him at all?
5: Um, not, I mean I was lucky enough to meet him yeah, um, yeah. I would never say you know know him but yeah. Uh, yeah he was gracious enough we spent you know close to three hours one night after a show just talking nice. and he could not have been sweeter yeah and uh, yeah I exchanged some comedy CDs he was kind of interested in so I sent them through the management and, and here's another perfect example of the gentleman that uh, that Gord is sent a, uh, a message back which is something he does not need to do So, um, every story I've heard is true. The man is wonderful and personifies probably what a good Canadian should be. A good person should be. Forget about Canadian. What a good person should be. Absolutely.
2: I I agree. I'll just share one little anecdote with you. Um, Day after the. I went to Kingston uh, to see that show, and immediately I I was chronicling it via some reviews for a website. Every show I went to, and they were very extemporaneous, like I wrote them in my car after every show on my phone, and they were very raw, and I was proud of them. He inspired me to write in a way I don't normally write in. Anyway, I get home from Kingston, drive four hours to Guelph, Ontario, where I'm calling you from, and we immediately, I have to go with my family to a cottage in Port Elgin to hang out for a week, and I emailed Gord, and I said, Gord, that was really, I just want to tell you how much this meant to us and to me, and it was so beautiful, thank you, Gord, the next the the day after the kingston show he wrote me back the loveliest note thanking me for my words thanking me for me making it all about me i once introduced his solo band at a festival and as i came off stage gave him a big warm ovation he he stopped and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said i'm so happy you're here today like that's such a profoundly beautiful thing to hear from someone and yeah. I don't mean to get so schmoopy about this or sappy, but like, why? This, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have issues, John. This is supposed yeah. to be about you, and not. No, me. no, no. <laughs> but it, it is
5: about. It is about me. It's about. Yeah. This is a huge part of me. Um. Yeah. How beautiful is that? This is such a considerate person, and that's why I think. Though I'm, I'm tearing up right now. Um. That's why I think the world needs to know a little bit more about Gord. He. Kind of shows you how to live. Yeah, God, am I ever romanticizing the idea of him now? But he did. He shows us how to live. He did. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't say too much, but you know, he shows us a lot.
2: Yeah, I I felt that connection to him since I was a kid. Like you know, first show, big show I ever went to was like another roadside attraction in Markham, Ontario. Uh, the, wow, that hip yeah. that hip uh, tour they did in '93, and I was 15. So seeing that at 15 and following that band for as long as I have, it was. Just, like exactly. you, exactly. So yeah,
5: we're, we're we're about the same age then. Yeah, ninety three. I'd be a little older, I think. 16, yeah, sixteen, seventeen. I went to yeah, but I remember yeah. Are you kidding me? Another roadside attraction in, in Ottawa, at the Speedway. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, that's a that's uh, a beautiful band, beautiful people, all of them.
2: Absolutely, and they cared about their community, which uh, I appreciated as well. It just taught me a lot. So, uh, John, how'd you get into comedy? I'm just going to switch <laughs> gears here and <laughs> you're and, and, you're playing we shift and we shift in you're, turn. Yeah. You're <laughs> playing uh, JFL42, which is ostensibly why we're chatting. Uh and by the way, this has already felt very lovely, so thank you for indulging me in whatever we're we're doing here. But I I I I know you uh, from your show. I know you. You had a TV show, uh, the John Dor. What was it called? It was called the John Dor. <laughs> John Dor. It's called
5: the John Dor Television Show. That's yeah. right.
2: It's very simple. I couldn't remember the very specific title. And your appearances on Conan uh, as a stand-up are legendary. You know, I, I'm a fan of this work of yours, and I'm just curious where it comes from. It sounds like you were raised in Ottawa, but how did you get into comedy?
5: I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, um, there's like, how is pretty simple. You walk up on a stage on an open mic night. Yeah, why? Uh, that's probably too big a question. So yeah, we'll stick with how. I got, uh yeah, I think I, I started, I was studying TV broadcasting at Algonquin College and I had to do uh, an assignment. So I was hanging out at a comedy club that had opened up in the neighborhood, and I decided to profile on video two very different comedians. Um, So not an interesting story at all, but something I had to do, and it was mostly an editing, lighting, and camera shooting assignment. Uh So I started hanging out in this comedy club, and I kept asking the owner when Open Mic was going to start up, because I was intimidated by the big Yuck Yucks club. So I thought, I'll start at this small club. And then one day I walked in, and the owner said, I need you to host tonight. And I said, what are you talking about? I've never even done this before. And he said, the host didn't show me to do it. And I'd written notes down, but I didn't know how to write a joke. And I thought to myself, something got in my head that said, this is how it starts. This is where you go on stage. It's like Jim Carrey for the first time and it's magical. And so I went on stage this night and I lasted about, two minutes, and then I was sweating and terrified and interviewed the first act and didn't go back to telling jokes for probably another eight months. So I went back, actually learned the craft a little bit more, spent time writing jokes, and, uh, yeah, that's where it all started. So, yeah, Ottawa, very influential and important.
2: So you said why is too big a question. Um, I just wonder if you had comedic influences, per se, uh, people that you... I I think I see certain influences in your approach to joke writing, but were there people that you had that you were like, oh, well, that's clearly that person's voice is close to where I'm coming from. Was, Was there anyone like that?
5: No, I didn't well ultimately but I didn't think about that. When I first started doing comedy, when I first started getting on stage, I I mean I was not me. I was I was just looking for laughs. It was survival. It was, no matter if it's a derivative or it sounds like someone else, it doesn't matter. To me, it's get a laugh and get off stage and that means you've done a good job. And I slowly heard from friends you know saying things like, "Why don't you just be who you are off stage on stage?" and that slowly sunk in, and then the biggest influence I would say would be the TV show Mr. Show, oh yes, uh, I don't know if... so Mr. show like I you'd hear all these dumb rules and comedians would try and influence you and give you advice, which I think is some of the worst things you can do um but you'd hear things like comedy comes in threes. Then you watch Mr. Show and you realize, oh my God, comedy can come in 11 if you want. <laughs> um, there are no rules and subversiveness can doesn't have to be political. It can just be fun. Um, yeah, so Mr. Show really helped me figure out I can I can kind of say and do whatever I want. I don't have to speak loudly. I can be quiet. I can do whatever I want. So I'd say if there was ever an influence uh, later on in my life, it was definitely that television show.
2: And then uh, that show, and I think your aesthetic as well, there's a darkness there. You, you push people, you unsettle people. Uh, where does that kind of impulse come from, would you say? Did you have a sense of that?
5: Uh, yeah, I don't know if I still have it as much as I used to, um, but it's definitely there. I mean, I think conventions and things that people decide Are sacred. Um, I have a hard time accepting that anything's sacred. Um, So I think knowing that this is going to something might annoy people a little bit um, is fun to play with. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I mean, I'm a combination, I think, of I love being silly and uh, I love, you know, pushing buttons. But at the end of the day, I love everyone to walk away thinking uh, they had a good time. So yeah, I'm a contradiction, I suppose.
2: Are you okay? Sometimes when you have darkness, it, it's not good. Are you Are you feeling all right about yourself, about the world?
5: <laughs> what kind of darkness are you talking about?
2: Well, there's just certain things when you get going, like it's a misdirection and you take things in a, I don't want to get into your material too specifically, but sometimes it's, I mean, I know you're doing, you know what's happening right now as we're speaking is comedy, uh, people are confused about what comedy is. Are you aware of this?
5: I've read the occasional story, but uh, I, I lose interest pretty quickly. It's yeah.
2: a it's a confusing time to like comedy. Well, it's not for me. I am starting to really... Uh, I'm a progressive person. We talked about Gord Downey. I think his character is an influence on the way I live my life on some level, among other people. Like, I mean... Uh, Like you say, like you said, some people teach you about maybe how to maybe live life and and to be a good person. And sometimes comedy blurs that line. Uh, uh, Really? Well, not for me, but it's hard to explain comedy to people who are humorless. And I think that's what's happening. There's a lot of humorlessness going on and people are taking comedians to task for their jokes, uh, expecting them to be, uh, you know, filled with as much historical detail and no nuance, you know, like a joke. Mm-hmm. A joke is very nuanced. It's not taking into consideration that cancer is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we think cancer is bad, but to mm-hmm. make a joke about it is to laugh at the badness, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't mean to put on a comedy seminar uh, for people right now, but do you have a perspective on that? Like, just No, you...
5: I, th- I think it's a great question because, yeah, like you said, this it, it's happening. I mean... The, there's certain archetypes, I think, in any kind of writing. So if you're talking about Jesus or the devil in popular, you know, culture, historical culture, you know, there's good and bad. Um, if you're talking about cancer, you accept that everyone knows it's bad and the thought of anyone being afflicted with cancer is bad. So at least it's established. So if you to make a joke about it, whether you're punching up or punching down, uh, it's not like you're saying cancer is good. Yeah. So um, it's it's. I, I feel like there's that weird – you're right. There's that weird area sometimes where people don't want you even talking about it at all. But I think that's okay. I mean, I think it puts us – I think the next few years will be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I can't uh, – I think the more time I spend with it, the more credit I give it. So – I think it's um I think it really is. There's nothing wrong with being a little more sensitive and thoughtful about your material. I think that's actually interesting. Yeah. But um I definitely um I definitely think it's a good time to do and say whatever you want.
2: Well, I have come up a comedy fan thinking I think I've never really articulated this or thought this too explicitly, but When I look back at the comedians I'm drawn to and the comedy I'm drawn to, you mentioned Mr. Show. That's a very smart show. I tend to think of comedians as being particularly smart people in the arts uh, and, and gutsy and thoughtful. And when you're an observational person, as a lot of comedians are, I think you're really thinking about things. And but now it feels like that's under attack. Like you said, like you can't even think a certain thing without being attacked for thinking. So and I'm we got to be careful here. I am not some right wing zealot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just worried about how people are processing jokes and. And what this means, because
5: I know, but I find it interesting that you said we have to be careful here because you're not some right right wing zealot. Like to even say those words, I yeah. mean, I think we everyone has all these disclaimers, yes, um, which is really really strange. Before you even even get to a point, you have to explain that you're not transphobic, you're not. <laughs> bitch, you're not yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah.
5: um whereas let's accept the fact that we're all good people. And we're coming from a good place. Um, Now, if you truly take issue with a joke, it's still a joke. And these are words. I think maybe what you're getting to is that, and what I would worry about too, is just complete censorship of anything. Hmm. Um, That's where it sounds like the problem is going to lie, is, uh, you know, the let's call them the progressive left or the uh, extreme left. Um, if I mean, they will ultimately be policed themselves as well. So, and again, I know very little. I can't, predict, I can't predict anything. You said comedians are smart. I don't know about that. Um, I'm trying to make a living telling some silly stories, and that's about it. Do you, don't, but, don't, yeah,
2: don't, I, I, don't you think comedy writing is, can be a, a very high art form, like a very smart and brilliant and incisive art form?
5: Oh, I think it can be. If, you're, if you like commentary and you want to talk about the world and the current zeitgeist, I guess, then, yeah, I can see you being brilliant. Even if you're not, I can see comedians being brilliant. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't call it so much an art form as a craft. You're really trying to hmm. craft words into perfect sentences to convey what you're trying to say. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, I wouldn't even call it an art form. I'd say it's a craft and uh, one that I feel very lucky to be a part of.
2: Okay, that's fair. Now, speaking of which, what are you kind of up to these days? I I mentioned some past work of yours that I'm familiar with, but I you know, if you go on uh, the various streaming services and type in John Doerr, you don't I don't see a record. I don't see certain things. Maybe they're on there somewhere and I'm missing them. Like, are you working on something that we should be aware of?
5: Yeah. Well, that's a great point. So we're, we're working on an online show with Comedy Central. We did a a special with Comedy Central last year, which we were going to try and go to series, but they ultimately decided not to. So yeah, we're going to do an online Comedy Central thing. A couple other little TV things. Um, pitching shows which is what uh, me and my writing partners do so that's always that's the engine that keeps kind of you know moving along um but yeah specifically when it comes to stand-up uh, i just hosted uh, eight shows at just for laughs that will premiere next year okay. um but uh, no i'm definitely doing an album this year um i've never done one so i'm gonna throw old jokes new jokes uh yeah i'm just gonna have a lot of fun recording uh, a couple of shows and putting together an album my sister runs a yeah uh, a comedy album uh, what do i call that um a label <laughs> a label yeah she's a comedy <laughs> label thank what, you what's the label called it's called howl and roar and so she took it upon herself she decided years ago that there women were not represented in uh stand-up so she started there and uh for her first like 10 12 album releases were uh we're, uh, we're women, and uh, I think she's done an incredible job. And uh, yeah, it's only going to grow. So I'm going to do my uh, my comedy album with my sister, Howl and Roar.
2: That's great. That's great to hear. I I do think of you as a real performer, as a comedian, like a a visual performer as well as a, a great joke writer. And you say you've never made an album. I just wonder, does that are you? Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you're a particularly physical performer? Like some of it may not translate as a record, so to speak. Do you know what I mean?
5: yeah you're you're hitting everything you shit, you it's like you live in my mind yeah this is <laughs> this was a concern that came up because i was going to record about two years ago and my friend of mine a comedian friend of mine who was watching me was in wisconsin at the time and he came up and he's like you can't do an album you have to do a special and he's not wrong a lot of the things i was doing were quite visual um none of those things i'm really doing anymore so i think i would select because i just want an album i think it would be fun to put an album out and have one and then just say that's done so i would select things that would work for the album or intentionally do something so visual um and leave it on the album so (laughs) Uh, but you're you're not wrong that thought crossed my mind i think to do a live special would be better but um i don't know i'm kind of romanticizing the idea of doing an album so don't talk me out of it
2: no no i think certainly i don't know maybe you're thinking about the material you had planned for the album and you're now i've made you second guess it but perhaps you just leave out some of the physical stuff like i think of your i think of one of your bits as a classic bit is the the fishing bit. You know what I mean? The the one where you're, I don't, people may not know it. If, if people want, they can find it on, it's part of your, one of your sets on Conan. I know that. Uh, people, yeah. Can, can, people can see that. But so maybe, I'm not trying to, uh, from Guelph, produce your comedy album.
5: No, please. But, I, I accept. But, <laughs> uh, unsolicited uh, production.
2: <laughs> Perhaps you just leave that out uh, and and leave it for the visual special that is bound for you know you're bound to do.
5: Maybe. Oh I'm, yeah. I, well, that's now dead anyway. I wouldn't. I, oh, you I wouldn't would I mean even do that bit. Okay. No, 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 no. I feel like anything like that would be kind of finished. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. So no, this would be, you know, more about my new life of uh, leaving a bar stool in Los Angeles as a bachelor and moving to Alaska and uh, living with a beautiful woman and her five-year-old daughter so i'm now into a whole other world of you know getting up and making lunches and walking a kid to school and having the most ridiculous conversations so you know as i change uh, the material changes
2: is it fair to say it sounds like this is obvious based on what you just said but i i, Alex, I do think of you in terms of the material i'm most familiar with as being sort of an impersonal comedian uh, you know there's some misdirection there's stories we learn about you and your perspective, but are you saying you've become a more personal storytelling comedian on some levels?
5: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it used to be about the joke and the situation, and and uh, how do you make fun of comedy while you're doing comedy? And I don't. It's not like I set out to do that. It's just what happened. But um, yeah, it's now. I guess melding both worlds a little bit um but it's undeniable that you know i've got this ridiculous five-year-old that i'm in charge of a lot of the time (laughs) i i became a i became a uh parental figure um so it's fun to uh yeah you can go to my instagram and see this kid she's ridiculous
2: yeah i have two i have two children and my oh do you okay i have an eight-year-old boy Levon, and my daughter ramona is uh four and she uh oh my god okay there you go she's uh my son thinks I'm funny and has seen me try to be funny in public. So now he wants to be funny and tries really <laughs> hard. But my daughter is just unintentionally hilarious. Like, I don't oh. I can't even it's not worth talking about because I can't do her bits. Her bits are so good that I'm not going to, you know, you shouldn't do another comedian's bits. But my. I find that they're just funny. They're just funny little people
5: they're hilarious. I laugh in a way that I never thought was possible. <laughs> or I just true. I just assumed that, yeah, kids, I get it. And then when you really develop a relationship with a kid and you you know, talk every day and yeah, and you you investigate what I she hates Ivan, right? This 4-year-old that steals her toys. <laughs> so when you when you investigate, you do an interview about Ivan every day with her. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious. <laughs> you think she, you think she's talking about Osama bin Laden? You know? Yeah. Osama they, bin Ivan.
2: Yeah, yeah. They have very uh, extreme views of very small things. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> I love it. But yeah. that's their world. Their, their world is small, so the smallest thing is the biggest thing. You know what I mean? It's. It is. It's yeah, just the way it is. So. And okay. it's
5: inspiring too. It's it's just undeniable that something comes out of her mouth or a conversation. Happens or a situation happens, and it's like I gotta write it down. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's okay. a little bit of everything going on in, in in what I'm talking about these days.
2: Well, I can't wait to see it. Uh, you're going to be at JFL 42 in Toronto. Uh, do you have other tour plans or uh, anything else we should know?
5: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, uh, Seattle and uh, Vancouver in October. Then I'm coming back to Ottawa for three nights at Yuck Yucks in November. And I'll be posting a bunch of new dates coming up. There's uh, Portland and Chicago and uh, Philadelphia. But that's all uh, December and then into the new year. But uh, in the short term, yeah, Vancouver and Seattle in October and then back to Ottawa in November.
2: So you say posting these things. Where can people go to learn more about you, John? Besides your your Instagram?
5: Well, I have my website, but I haven't updated it in a while because I feel like I don't know how necessary that is. So I usually just post everything on Instagram at TVS John Dor on Instagram and Twitter. Same thing. Okay. A, at TVS John Dor J O N D O R E.
2: Okay. Well, John, uh, this was a real pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't I guess you don't have any recorded bits we can really go out on, can we? Do you have anything that I can play for people? I usually ask. And if you don't, that's fine. I'm just asking. Uh,
5: do, do you mean like something online you can grab? Yeah. Yeah. Well, feel free to grab what you want. There's probably something um I don't know. Yeah, one you can grab something from uh I think that first Conan bit where I talk about uh sleeping in the sun, falling asleep in the sun. Right. <laughs> okay. Or if you want i'm not sure what kind of access you have how about the last of the unplugged gems there you go
2: oh well yeah i don't know if i can i I don't know well i could i could send a message and see if that's cool we could you want to go out on the hip
5: why not well uh, copyright but i <laughs> oh no I meant, if, if if you had permission of course yes but, of uh, course yeah sure yeah. i'll send or it why up. don't you play something from Chappelle's special <laughs>
2: <laughs> i don't know if that's appropriate john I, on many <laughs> levels these days i don't know if that's appropriate
5: but uh, that was a great special it was beautiful yeah
2: i thought it was funny too i laughed when he was
5: talking about uh when he was talking about um how the teachers are shepherding the kids into uh, a specific place if there's an active shooter and he's like the active shooter's in the room <laughs> yeah, here." He that's is. right I, that training, was absolutely brilliant training
2: yeah. the active shooter there's some I always think of, we were talking about being insightful and smart, or at least I was, like the Chris Rock bit about how there should be bullet control instead of gun yeah. control. Like that's yeah. such a simple idea. and I don't know if that means I'm dumb because I thought that was so smart, but I'm like that's the smartest idea. Why is why it? No, isn't it's there? great. Yeah, yeah,
5: make the bullets, whatever it was, $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Then you'd think twice about pulling the trigger. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's a hilarious joke and, and and a smart joke. So that goes... We've circled back to, I think, people like Chappelle and Chris Rock are actually very smart. And,
5: uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, no question. Most of the, some of the most thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, we'll go out on something here. Uh, I just wanted to say I really appreciate this time. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and I wish you the best luck with everything going forward.
5: Yeah. That was a ball. Next time we cross paths, let's talk hip again. Beer's on me. That
2: sounds great. Thanks, John.
5: All right. Thanks so much.
4: I just want to have a really good show tonight. Uh, So, I got to open with a strong joke. I know that much. So, I thought, uh, it's tough. I mean, I thought I'd open by telling you that I just got back from Afghanistan, where I was entertaining the troops. Uh, but, but, okay, thank you, but I was performing for the Taliban, so... Not going to open with that. Um, what I thought I do... My friends always say, well, John, just open with your funniest joke. Well, my funniest joke happens to be extremely racist, so <laughs> I think I'll close with it. But the opener... I know. I think it's beautiful that we have a black president of the United States. And relax, this is not my closer. Um, I think it's great. Uh, what's adorable... You know, considering this country's history, the fact that there's a black president is just beautiful. Uh, what's adorable... Sure, yeah. What's adorable is that my little nephew came up to me the other day and said, Uncle John, will there ever be a white president in my lifetime? It's cute, right? But how do you explain to a four-year-old, Billy, look, you have leukemia. <laughs> or, or as he calls it, ukema. Yeah, yeah, he, he's also stupid. Now, uh... It's a risky joke, I know I, uh, I did that joke on a show once And a lady came up to me afterwards and said Hey, great set I loved your jokes Oh, thank you So that happened uh, You know you gotta, be, you gotta be careful with the ladies You gotta be slick Like, I know, even if you suspect it You're never supposed to ask a woman if she is pregnant <laughs> So what I do is I say Hey, looks like someone's put on some weight Huh? Huh? <laughs> You know, let her tell you if she's pregnant. Don't ruin the surprise. Be a gentleman. A friend of mine came up to me the other day. Do you have friends like that where they just come up to you? Do you know what I mean? Hi. Okay. What? And uh, he said, Hey, dude, if I can get tickets to Metal Fest, do you want to go? And I said, No, I don't like metal. And he said, You don't like metal? You don't like metal? Like, by him acting out the song, that was going to convince me to love the music. Like, you're not a wizard. You can't act something out and convince people it's good. You never see that. You never see, You don't like beer? You don't like beer, (laughs) you know, or you never see, you don't like fishing. think your kids came by, they drew another penis on my chest. Yeah, it looks like they traced it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, my wife is fine. Although my wife's starting to sound like a laser gun. A laser gun! Yeah, whenever I'm like, can I go with the guys? Can I sleep in? Can I have a beer? She's like, no, 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 no. What did you just say about my wife? No, 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 you don't talk to her that way, all right? We've been through... You son of a bitch! That is my wife! You want to do this? Let's do it right now! You want it? You don't like fishing?
2: Very, very special thanks to John Doerr and Lauren Lapkus for their respective appearances on this, the 498th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the E1 Podcast Network and is available on everything. iOS, Android platforms, Spotify, YouTube, Audio Boom. It's everywhere you want to be. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com, and that is spelled exactly the way it sounds. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or follow me directly at Vish You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfru.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. If you haven't heard, I've added a new $6 tier, which gets you exclusive content from my personal audio archive of interviews uh, that I've conducted over the many years I've been conducting interviews. So $6 and up a month gets you exclusive content a couple of times a month. So I hope you will consider... You know, donating to the show. Patreon.com slash creative control for more info about that. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie. He lends me music for this show. You can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org. And you, thank you very much for listening to this episode and other episodes of this podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and tell your friends to do the same. And, and that is all I can ask I, I appreciate you listening to the show and I will talk to you very very soon goodbye for now